Well, good morning, everyone. I hope you can hear me clearly. Yes? Yes? Okay. You can talk back to me. That's okay. I'm all right about that. Um, So it's great to be here today at CCB um, on Palm Sunday. And I want to share with you uh, a message uh, from Mark 11, 1 to 11. And it's a message about encouragement. Now, if you look at the title of my message, you think, that's not about encouragement. That's just telling us we've got troubles. We'll get over them, and then there'll be more. But you know what? That is life, isn't it? Yes? That's it. But what I want to show you today is a message of encouragement. I want to show you how Jesus is our example, how to negotiate the ups and downs of this life and those we have in our Christian walk. So I hope you'll stick stick with me on it. It will be encouraging, and I hope that you will draw from what you hear today. Can I have the next slide, please? There we go. Sorry, it's gone back one. Here we are. If you can see this, I just thought about some of the things that we go through in this world. And probably when you look at them, you think, ah, that's me. That's me now. That was me last year. I'm coming into this. That may happen to me. Because these are the things that happen to us as people. And whilst worries, concerns, issues... That may be the first thing we see about them, but also in those different categories can be good things as well in some of them. Um, Relationships, we may be going through difficulties, but also we might be going into a new relationship, back to get married, um, you know, having new uh, generations come into our families like me. I've got a relationship now with uh, my grandson who was born in January. I love him so much. I love him that much, I told my two daughters. Um, He's above you now, because you've had me for decades, and now it's his turn, so I love him so much, and I truly do love him. I love them too, of course, Uh, but they're adults now and they're grown. So, But I love this little one, so that's good things about relationships, but there might be other things that we're going through that cause us, you know, worry, concern, and so forth. So really, that's just a little list of things that we can think about, but... What you're going through today, I just want to encourage you that as someone that's trusting in Christ, he knows what you're going through and he is with you through it all. So I hope that you will continue to see that. So, my story. By the way, that's not me. I wish it was. I used to be an athlete from when I was in primary school all the way up to my first couple of years in university. So being able to jump, run, do things, chase a bus. Anybody love chasing a bus? Come on, some people still chase a bus. I even have, I've even had a driver stop a bus about nearly half a stop down, see me walking and wait. That really happens. It did happen for me one day. I was just thought, that's a miracle. But chase a bus down. Do sort of practical things, not even necessarily sports. But our bodies are so important to us, how we move them and how we negotiate life with them. Five years ago, five, five years ago, around this time, especially January it started, I had issues with my back right here. I used to have twinges there every winter, so I thought, I'm getting a bit old. Um, you don't know how old I am, but I'm old. <laughs> I'm getting a bit old, bit of things going on, and I used to have it all the time, but this was different. And in January... Um, 2018, I wrote my car off by crashing into a, I think it was a Mercedes, one of the big ones. 
And um, I couldn't stop. I couldn't stop in time. I couldn't press down and stop, so I was driving a manual car, and I went straight into it. So that car was written off. I loved that car as a folk because I loved it. It was written off, and I thought, I need to get an automatic. But progressively, what happened is that my back got worse and worse. And so it went from there's a twinge to screaming in pain every day, screaming in pain at the end of the day, having to sit in a chair, my comfy chair at home for about four hours and not get up because I wouldn't be able to get up and walk after I'd been sitting at work all day. My back would be locked. Something was going on. So I thought, I need to go and see my GP. I'm not always at my GP, but I thought, this means something. I need to go there. They sent me for an MRI. My MRI was going to happen on the 10th of April. That took a while, didn't it? <laughs> 10th of April from January onwards. So I had to wait for that. Meanwhile, um, my niece in America said to me that her mom, that's my sister on my dad's side, uh, was very unwell. So um, I thought, okay, then I need to go and see her. And so I booked an appointment uh, towards the end of April. I was going to go and see my sister. I love her so much. And um, my MRI was going to be on the 10th of April. And on the 9th of April, I was at work and I got a call from my daughter to say, Mom, I have to tell you something. Auntie Maisie has died. I was in the office and I fell to the floor. I was crying. I tried to make it to the, the ladies' bathroom just to try to get out of the office. And um, I, I was inconsolable. So I only live a mile away from where I work and I was driving in that mile. So my manager says, go home. So I went home, I was stunned, I was shocked, I was just in the state. The next day I had to go and lie in a cold, if you've been in an MRI, it's horrible. <laughs> but I had to lie there, and um, they were also looking at my knees as well. Yes, I was falling apart, my knees were bad as well, so they were checking out my knees too. But I, all I could think about was my sister, because now I was not going to visit her, to help her, to console her and, you know, take care of her. I was going to help my niece bury her. And that was just devastating. But anyway, I had my MRI. And uh, when I went on my journey at the end of um, uh, April, the funeral had sorted, so I had to go and help my niece sort things out. I had to have, what's it called? Special assistance? Is it special assistance? Special assistance, yeah, from the, well, when we went through, obviously you go through, through security, um, onto the plane, off the plane the other side, through security, and in America, they actually pushed me all the way to the car outside where my niece was waiting, right to the door of that car. And that's why I guess I got into the car. So I had to go through that time, and I was there to, to sort out the funeral arrangements, and I came home. When I came back, the results were back, and the GP said, come in. When I sat in that GP room, I was still in agony and pain, and um, he told me about what was going on with my back. He said, you've got bone and disc loss in your neck, in the middle of your back, and at the base of your, in the lumbar region, bone and disc loss in all those areas. And that report said, not only that, it was the, the, the base of it was just a mess, an utter mess. And for a long time, I was trying to think, well, what happened to me? People go, what happened to you? And I only remembered in recent years that I fell down the stairs my youngest was about one year old, so just over 20 years ago. But I hit the base of the stairs here and bounced and fell. And I think it started from there. 
But the, when they went reading on, he only read a little bit of it and told me, he said, I know I told you to do some exercise to help your knees. He goes, don't do anything. Don't do one thing. And he bought time to buy this little cycle thing. You know, you can do this with it. He goes, don't do that either. Just don't do anything. And then they sent me away. That was it. Nothing, nothing else other than that. So one day when I was at work, I thought, I need to get around. So at the lunchtime, I inched my way to a disability shop and I bought myself a motorised, what do you call it? Yeah, a motorised one. And I rode it back to the office. And I rode it in to the office and people were looking at me and I thought, what do you expect me to do? I can hardly walk. So as time went on, they said that I can go and get pain, um, uh, I can get pain relief through injections, a steroid injection. And they'll give me a steroid injection in my back. Now, when I had my children, I did not want to have an epidural for anything. I just got an air. I had other things. So I thought, I don't know about these injections in my back. But such was the pain and agony. I just thought to myself, I've got to have it. So I agreed to have it. And eventually, I was going to have an appointment with a consultant who was a pain consultant. Four months after my sister had died, my niece got hold of me and she said, Auntie... I have to tell you something. I have cancer. And the cancer, and she's just 10 years younger than me, so I'm like a younger auntie to her. Her mum has just died, and now she's been told she has cancer. And the type of cancer that she had is a gynecological cancer that has killed many of the women in her family on her maternal grandmother's side. So this is what she was facing. So I thought, I've got to go back. So I went on the plane again, back to New York. I thought, I have to be her mum. And she had this very intensive radiotherapy, some sort of brachytherapy, and I had to be there with her. So all this was still going on. And so I came back, and I had my, uh, to have my injections. And when I went there, the consultant said, I'm so glad you've come back, you know, to have these injections done. This was the October. And as I was going along, I had a stick that a friend had given me, and I was walking like this, like a shepherd, trying to walk along. And the theatre professional who came for me, she said to me, can I ask you a question? And I just thought, okay. I just said, yes. Now, I thought she said to me, how are you working? You know, I think she's Finnish or Swedish. And I just said, oh, I've got faith in God. So every day I get up and I go to her. And, I, and she said, oh, my, mom's a, my grandma's a Christian. And we started talking. But only later I realised she actually said to me, how are you walking? They obviously had my MRI. They had my report. I should not be walking. But guess what? I was. And I am. And so I went and had those injections in my back. And then my niece was in remission for eight months. And eight months later, she contacted me again and said, Auntie, the cancer has returned. And they've told me, I have to have all my insides taken out or I'll be dead in two years. And so she made that decision and I said, I have to go back again and be with her. And so I did. So for me, the people used to pray for me and say, as Christians we do that, we say, have faith. Oh Eve, your back's going to be better. I believe you, I believe for you, I believe. All that stuff, all that damage, all what's going on, it's going to miraculously go away. But one day, I felt the Holy Spirit saying to me, Eve, you have your miracle. You can walk. So therefore, 
what are you asking for? And it's the truth. Because I also, lockdown was good for me because I stopped walking with my stick. And I just walked very slowly. And my neighbours downstairs used to walk their dog around the park and they used to walk me too. So I stood around the park with my little dog. She was faster than me. It was a kilometre all the way around. But very slowly and painfully, I made that walk. So that's my story, where even the things that we were looking at earlier, they can come at you, maybe not one, maybe not two, maybe three or four. We just don't know. But this is Christ's example to us about how to meet with these difficulties and overcome them. At Jesus at this time, when we see the story in Mark 1 to 11, he had major issues affecting his life, his mission goals. There were religious leaders that had a lot of power and influence over the Jewish people. You can see some pictures here. It's a depiction of the Pharisees. We know the Pharisees and the Sadducees. They did not believe Jesus was the Messiah, and they were angry that Jesus was flouting the religious laws. We hear about when he was healing and when he healed people on the Sabbath. They were unhappy about this because they had their strict laws and they felt that he was just trying to overturn them. This verse we know well. Jesus, he came to his own and his own did not receive him. So his own people didn't receive him. Jesus had come to save the lost sheep of Israel. But thanks be to God as Gentiles, he came to save us too. Didn't he? All of us? Do we believe it? It's true. But they did not see him as the Messiah prophesied in the scripture. Not even the miracles that he was doing could actually persuade them that he was the Messiah. They ridiculed him. They also, if you know, there's another scripture where someone asked a question. I'm going to use Barnet as an example, but they were more or less saying, hang on a moment, any from Barnet? How can anything good come out of Barnet? What they were saying is that, how can he be the Messiah? Why would God even send the Messiah through the place where he was from? So he had all these obstacles to face in terms of people believing who he is and being able to fulfill his mission. We know, further on from this point, um, people wanted Jesus to be someone who could lead a rebellion against the Roman rule. They didn't want the Romans there. Romans there had been there a long time. They wanted them gone. And they wanted to be freed from the obligations of the empire. And we know they were saying to Jesus, why do we have to pay our taxes? And what did Jesus say? Anybody know? Say it again. Render unto Caesar what is, thank you very much, thank you. Render to Caesar, give to Caesar what belongs to him and give to God what belongs to God. Jesus held strong to being someone who would act appropriately to the situation. Driving those money changers out of the temple, he was angry, they were in there and they shouldn't have been in there doing what they were doing. But then there's another side. Helping the Samaritan woman, who Jewish people shouldn't be around, to see things and herself the way God does, making her feel less of an outcast. He did that. Now we come to what we call Palm Sunday. So, um, Andy, 
I've been doing some reading, <laughs> as a good student should, as a, in the, on the theology program. And, um, you know, what I read, I'm going to share that today, uh, about Palm Sunday, it's that, and this is a lovely depiction here, it wasn't necessarily just palms they were using, so we do talk about Palm Sunday. What they would have been using was any branches, any leaves, um, and so forth, when, <clears throat> excuse me, he was coming to, into Jerusalem. Now, Jesus' triumphal entry to Jerusalem. There was an ancient practice called impressment. An impressment was where a king or a government official could claim temporary rights of an item or a person for immediate service. Now, how does that mean anything for us today? That's when Jesus had said to his disciples to do what? Go into that village and you will see a, a cult. And then you should tell them that the master has use of this animal. And so this is what was normally given as a right to government officials, but also in terms of a king. So here we can see there was a kingly purpose to what he was doing. I also have the scripture here, Zechariah 9, verse 9. And thank you, Andy, you read it earlier. Behold, your king is coming to you. Righteous and having salvation is he. Humble and mounted on a donkey, as it said in that, that scripture of the Old Testament. It predicts the Israelite Messiah coming into Jerusalem. And in terms of the scriptures, especially in the Old Testament, there's lots of scriptures that talk about the salvation of God, God saving us, God being righteous, and so forth. And this is another one of those. So it's just felt that this was a Jesus fulfilling that particular prophecy. And this journey, that when he came through Bethany, Bethphage, and into um, Jerusalem, it was actually the first official occasion of Jesus declaring himself as the awaited Messiah. And it was a special occasion. Now, what people would do, instead of using branches, leaves, tall grasses from nearby fields, they also would lay down their garments. Now, why did they do that? Well, the reason was, it was a way to honour Jesus. It was like setting out a road for Jesus, preparing him, giving him what we would call today the red carpet treatment, right? Who's had the red carpet treatment? Anybody? No? Oh, I'd like some of that. That'd be great, wouldn't it? Yeah. Just a nice red carpet. But it was like the red carpet treatment, as we call it today. Now, songs and rejoicing were part of what the pilgrim festivals were about. Spontaneously, these were done to honour Jesus. And they were repeating the first line of Psalms 118, verse 26, talking about the king. And the phrase, now, hallelujah, that we use a lot, um, and we probably use it in the service today, is actually a call to worship. So hallelujah, even though it means praise God, the phrase actually means come and worship God with me. So you say hallelujah. So when they were saying hosanna, Hosanna is a praise, the word that they use, and it actually means save now, save us now. But it was generally used for shouts of praise. So what the people were saying is, we are welcoming you, Messiah. We want you here. Save us now. Save us now. We need you. And they were showing that in throwing down their garments and throwing down the foliage and giving Jesus that welcome. 
But not too long from that, things significantly changed for Jesus. On the one hand, there were cries of when he came into Jerusalem, crowds cheering, laying down their garments, taking up foliage, giving him that red carpet treatment. But they were no longer cheering. But they were baying for Jesus to be crucified and for a criminal robber to be freed instead. He is standing, you can see this depiction, I think it's a good one. He is standing alone. There isn't honour on him. They would have stripped him of his robes. I'm not sure he would have everything on, but in this picture he does. But they would have stripped him. And there you can see Pilate asking the people, not making a decision himself, but the people now, what do you think? And they weren't saying, Hosanna, Hosanna, you know, uh, in the highest. They weren't saying that. We ask ourselves the question, where were his disciples? Because when he came into Jerusalem and he left from there, he went with the twelve. But now, where were the disciples? And sometimes in our situations, we are going through something and we feel that we are totally alone. And there are situations that we may fail. I have a serious one in my life right now that I know that no one can walk that path with me. I have to walk it and depend on the help of God to go through it because it's an ongoing, very painful situation. But there was Christ. Um, There were people that he actually healed miraculously, but where were they? Were they standing in the crowd and shouting, crucify him? Were they standing away from the crowd or did no one from them, that group, turn up at all? Jesus stood strong in the face of this hatred and it was hatred for nothing that he had done. And sometimes in our life, in relationships, in work relationships or somewhere else we're doing something, maybe God has gifted you with something that you do very, very well. And I always call a gift, just think of something you do that you do very well. That's what God has gifted you with. And other people can be jealous of your gifting just because they don't have it or just because. So sometimes we are hated for no reason. And this is an occasion where we can see Jesus was hated for no reason. But he was silent in the face of insults. And I want to believe that he was thinking about you and me and the path that he had to take, his destiny, his goal to save us. And also, I think, in the way that he handled this, he was leaving a blueprint um, to follow in how to deal with difficulties and also our successes. He had the successes of entering into Jerusalem, but he didn't take that as being the end. He knew he had to push on to the next bit, which was painful. But he shows us how to deal with difficulties and with the successes that come our way how to understand and undertake the responsibility of taking up our cross and following Christ as a true disciple. Learning really how to trust in God because our discipleship journey is about trusting God. And also, it's not about Christ coming to condemn us because John 3 verse 17 tells us God did not send Jesus to condemn us but to save us that through him we could be saved. And so from that we can draw a lot of strength for our Christian walk. So finally, 
I'd like you to read the, if you can see the slide properly. Let's read this scripture. And I hope you can think on it as you go through all the things that you go through in life. And um, let's read this together. It's John 3, John 16, verse 33. Shall we start? I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In this world, you will have tribulation. We will. But take heart. Amen. I have overcome the world. So I hope today you are encouraged. I love this picture when I saw it. And I've got a bit poor eyesight. So when I looked at the slide, I was like, what's that? Because <laughs> it looked like a bit of white on it or something. Like, what is that? The Holy Spirit coming as a dove. Because Jesus said that when he went, he would send us the comforter. And the comforter would be with us. And the comforter would teach us. The comforter would give us wisdom. The comforter would help us to, re- to, to reveal the truth of the scriptures. And by that, we can overcome our situations. We can go through our situations, even the most painful ones, because Jesus overcame the world. Thank you for listening today. Thank you.